Thank you, thank you. It's really good to be here. I hope you can hear me now. I have a new set of batteries so I can preach for hours on end and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, it's not been the best weekend ever for the BBC. And when things like this are happening, you rather forget that actually the BBC does some really good stuff. I got hooked a few weeks ago on a program called Parole. It's dug out a really important group of people, parole boards, who have to make killing decisions about whether prisoners should be released or not. They have to decide if someone is safe enough to be reintroduced to society. Such difficult decisions. And their work comes down to the same fundamental question. Can a human being really change? Someone who is a murderer or someone who's committed some terrible sexual crime, can they ever really be said to have changed such that they can live a normal life? Because lots of people in our nation, in our culture today, would just say straightforwardly, no. As my granddad used to say, a leopard never changes its spots. If you're a badun, you're a badun, and that's it. That's just the way it is. I don't know if anyone has ever seen the uh, musical called Les Miserables. Do you notice the French accent there? <laughs> Les Miserables. Anyone seen that? The, in, in that, the man Javert, the police officer, represents that view. His moral framework is a very clear one. Those who are sinners, those who are criminals, they're just criminals forever. That's the way they are, and there's no point trying to do anything about it. Change is impossible. So when it turns out that Jean Valjean is such a good man, Javert's whole world falls to bits, and in the end, he takes his own life. Well, we're Christians. We know that people can change. We know, in fact, that Jesus can transform a life utterly. I was at General Synod a few days ago. It was even worse than it sounds. The high spot of it was a kind of evening session organized by a group called the Church Revitalization Trust, where we met a man called Pete. Pete was brought up as a teenager, as a young kid and a teenager, on a big social housing estate in the west of London. And, like many of his friends, he started taking drugs. And it quickly became more than recreational. He became addicted to quite serious drugs. And he failed his exams. He couldn't hold down a relationship. He couldn't keep a job for more than a few weeks. Every penny he went was being spent on drugs. His life was getting worse and worse. Until he got a short-term job on a building contract in a church. And the people in the church got chatting to him and invited him to an alpha course. And his imagination was completely captured. He became a Christian. He was able to shake off his addiction. He's now a vicar running a parish in an estate called Delgano Way in West London, a really rough estate. He's grown this tremendous church and he's changing lives. His life was changed and now he's changing the lives of others. Jesus can touch and change lives in ways we can barely imagine. How? Well, the Bible reading we've just listened to John chapter 4 tells us beautifully. It's a story in which a life is completely transformed by Jesus. And I think we can spot three steps along the way. And as we chart these three steps by which this Samaritan woman's life is changed, we can see how Jesus can change us and how we can change the lives of others. So, our first step is 
an unlikely encounter. An unlikely encounter. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, off to a very important meeting with lots of very important people, and I had to be there on time because it was so important. But before that, I had to post a really important letter in the post box in the shop opposite, and I had to do it quickly because I'm so busy. So I went across to the post box, and as I was going, there was a man on the other side of the road, and he shouted to me, Oi, God man, what's your God saying to me? And I thought, I can't stop for conversations like this. But he said it again, what's your God saying to me? And I looked him in the face, and I realized he meant it. And so I told him what God is saying to him. And we chatted for about 15 minutes, and he told me what a mess his life was in. And I showed him some places he might be able to go. An unlikely encounter. And it made me think, because I'm so busy and every moment is diarized, etc., etc., how often do I miss encounters just like that? The heart of John chapter 4 is an unlikely encounter. By a well at midday. Who on earth goes to a well to draw water at midday? That's a crazy time to be at a well. It's an encounter between a Jew and a Samaritan. What Jews and Samaritans do is they fight each other. They fight wars against each other. They don't go near each other. They don't even use the same vessels, let alone stopping for a conversation. It's an encounter between a man and a woman at a time when men and women rarely mix, certainly not without other company present. And it's clear the disciples are pretty shocked by this conversation when they get back, got back. It's an encounter between a teacher and a woman who is sinful, as we later find out. One, therefore, that's risking Jesus' own reputation. This is an incredibly unlikely, impossible encounter. But because of it, through the course of it, a life is changed. How often? Because we fill our lives and pressurize ourselves and think we've got so many important things to do. How often do we miss the unlikely encounters? How often do we miss encounters with people in our lives who so want to know about the faith that is so precious to us? Who so need to meet with Jesus but we're so busy, our heads straight ahead, we miss it. We shorten the conversation, we get away, we don't notice the opportunity. Or perhaps even worse, how often do we miss opportunities, unlikely encounters with Jesus himself? Moments and times when he wants to speak to us, to reassure us of our salvation or the depth of his love for us. This week then, slow down. Have the unlikely conversations Give people a bit more time. This week, have an unlikely encounter with someone who's seeking Jesus Christ. Maybe a family member, someone in your school, a colleague at work, a fellow student. Just find that opportunity. And this week, make space for an unlikely encounter with Jesus. Because he's searching for you. He's seeking you out. There's something he wants to say to you. If only you'd stop and listen. Make space for those unlikely encounters. So that's the first step. It is an unlikely encounter. Then the second step 
is a generous gift. Chapter 4, verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The very heart of this incredibly beautiful encounter is a deliberate misunderstanding, a play on the word water. The woman comes to the well because she's thirsty. Jesus goes to the well because she's thirsty. But Jesus uses ordinary physical water from the well to point beyond itself to what he calls living water. And at first the woman has no idea what he's talking about. Jesus is seeing in this woman a double thirst. Yes, she's thirsty for water in the heat of the day, but there's a much deeper thirst than that. She's thirsty for forgiveness, because why else has she come to the well at a time when no other person would be there than that she is ashamed because of her life? This woman is thirsty for God. She has no idea where to find him or how to worship him. This woman is thirsty for purpose and what to do with her life and how to make sense of it. She's deeply, deeply thirsty in an inner way. And it's the same with us. Yes, we get physically thirsty. We go to the tap. We drink some water. We have an excellent cup of St. T's coffee. But for each of us, there's a much deeper thirst than that, an existential thirst, a thirst right in the very heart of our soul. A thirst for forgiveness, a thirst for love, a thirst for something that will make sense of our lives. And there's only one thing that can quench that thirst, and that's Jesus, the living water. And how do we drink that living water? Well, it flows from the cross. In chapter 19 of John's Gospel, the moment Jesus dies, a soldier pierces his heart with a spear, and out of his side, at the moment of his death, flows blood and water. The saving power of the cross is made available to us through that living water, water in which we're baptized, water that we can drink. And that living water, that water, is offered to you. So this Lent, as you prepare yourself for Easter, for that celebration of the cross, the dying and rising of Jesus Christ, make space to drink of the living water, to drink of the life of Jesus himself, because that's the only thing that's going to quench your deepest thirst. Make space to drink on him. So an unlikely encounter a generous gift. And then our third step is a new life. After this Samaritan woman starts to understand what it means, all this talk of living water, once she begins to see who Jesus is, not just some random passing stranger, but a bit more than that, after that, things happen quickly. First of all, she deals with sin. Jesus names the sin in her life. Jesus names the fact that she's got through all these men and is now we're thinking of a man who isn't her husband at all. And she accepts it. She sees her need for change and finds forgiveness. Then after that, they go into a conversation about worship, where you find God and where you worship God, where you need to be to worship God. And Jesus puts her right. It doesn't matter where you worship 
What matters is that worship is in spirit and in truth. Then after that, later in the chapter, she goes back to her village to tell others about Jesus. She's so now in love with this man that she must find others who can know so that they too can drink on this living water, which is his life. So you see, she doesn't just believe something different in her head. Now she's drunk on this living water. She lives a whole new life. She lives her whole life completely differently. And that's the life that we find in Christ as well. Just think about what that woman experiences. Repentance, first of all. The joy of repentance. A new start. Forgiveness. And that's something available to us. Whenever we turn to the Lord and accept those things in our lives which aren't of him, name sin, Jesus deals with it and there's a new start. Worship, secondly. Worship which means be the very heart of our lives. Because here in worship, it's not just what we do on a Sunday because there's nothing good on the telly. No, this is where we find our identity. In our worship, we see who we are in relationship with Jesus Christ. In worship, we anticipate for a while what we shall be for all eternity. We see our identity as we gather in this place. And witness. That's the third thing we see in this woman. Witness as she goes back to her village. And we too are sent to be witnesses in this new life Jesus offers us. Sharing our faith, putting it into words, being a voice for justice, standing up for what is right, making sure our faith makes a difference to our lives. It's a whole new life that Jesus offers. So often we want to belittle the gospel. We want to nail it down and make it comprehensible to our narrow minds. We think we can sum it up in a sentence or reduce it to a mere matter of private, individual belief. But if we drink this living water that is Jesus, there is no aspect of our lives that is not touched and transformed. Every decision we make, every penny we spend, every relationship we form, everything is changed by him. Repentance, worship, witness, lifestyle. All is lived in him. A changed life, a new life. That's what Jesus offers. So we see a life changed. An unlikely encounter. A generous gift. A new life. I love John's gospel. One reason about I love John's gospel is I see myself in it. And of course that's the idea. Every character John introduces, he invites us to enter into their mindset and see ourselves as them. So the reason I love John chapter 4 is because I know I'm the Samaritan woman. I need the unlikely encounter with Jesus. I need the living water. I need that new life which he offers. I know my life is wrong and I need to put it right. And it's true of you. Every single one of you is also the Samaritan woman. And so tonight, I'm going to invite you as you respond to the word to live the story that we've just heard read to us. In a few moments, as the band plays, over to my right, there's some bowls of water. I'd love to invite you just to go over and touch the water. Just put your hands in it. And feel the touch of water. It's a beautiful gift, the gift of life to begin with. But do what the Samaritan woman 
was led to do. Allow that physical water to point beyond itself to Jesus, the living water. And as you feel a touch of water on your hands, drink deeply from Jesus. Let his life enter into your life. Drink on that living water and then go to share that water with others. So just come forward, if you like to, if you feel moved to do so, and touch the water over on the, over that side. If you'd like people to pray with you, then there'll be a couple of people over on this side of the church to offer prayer ministry. And if you'd just like to come forward for a simple blessing, a prayer of encouragement and blessing on your life, I'll just be standing over here and would love to have that opportunity to bless you as you carry on living as Jesus wants you to. An unlikely encounter, a generous gift, a life changed. That's the Samaritan woman. And that can be us also, lives changed by Jesus. And that's what we're sent to bring about in others, lives changed by Jesus. So let's pray to him now, who is the living water. Lord Jesus, we lay before you now our thirst. Our thirst for forgiveness, for meaning, for purpose, for friendship, and for love. Lord, we acknowledge that we are thirsty people. And so this night, help us to meet with you and to drink of you the living water. Help us to feel that forgiving love which flows straight from the cross and into our lives. Lord, quench our deepest thirst and then send us out to quench the thirst of others. For you live and reign, God, now and forever. Amen.